passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. We live in a world where a lot of things are not what they seem to be. Sometimes you go out and you go to buy a house and the house looks great, but then you have an inspection and discover that it's actually worthless because termites have eaten away at the wood on the interior. You couldn't see it. The inspector found it. Sometimes you go out to buy a used car and the salesman has that used car in the lot and it looks great, but he's not actually telling you it's a complete lemon because you and I can only look on the outside. He knows what's going on under the hood. It's not just houses and cars that can look one way on the outside but be vastly different on the inside. It's also people. Isn't that true? Sometimes people pretend to be your friends. They pretend to be loyal. But when push comes to shove, they're pretty quick to stab you in the back. The thing is that we can only look on the outside of things. I mean, you only look on the outside of people's lives. We can't see people's hearts. But the good news is we have a God who can see the heart, who knows the heart. We learned that last week in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 17. God knows the heart. And now the interesting thing about this is that God knows what's truly going on in situations when we don't know, because we can only see the outside. You remember last week we talked about in Bethlehem, when Jesus was born, Jesus looked just like another baby. Probably there were many other babies born that night. But God knew the truth, that baby Jesus was different. That's why he had his angels tell the shepherds that this baby is different. This baby is God in the flesh the very Savior of the world. Because God knows things about people that we don't. And over a thousand years before that, in that very same Bethlehem, there was a young junior high boy that was anointed, anointed with oil by an old prophet named Samuel. Now on the outside of things, it didn't look like much had changed. An old man had poured a horn of oil over a, a junior high boy's head. Samuel went back to Ramah, and Daniel, or David went back to tending sheep. But what people couldn't see a change on the outside, the Bible tells us there was a big change on the inside of him. From that point forward, the Holy Spirit rushed into his life. And the Holy Spirit made a huge difference. This is where we ended up last week, in verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went up to Ramah. While there was no big external visible difference in David's life, there is a huge difference on the interior of his life where the Holy Spirit began to change him from the inside out and work with him. Now, this is sort of what we're going to talk about this morning. Just as the Holy Spirit dwelling in David drastically changed his life, 
when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, he drastically changes us as well. In fact, the Holy Spirit coming into your life is the best thing that could ever happen to you and me today. We're going to begin by just looking at a little overview of how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. Now, we know in the Old Testament, or actually in the Scripture, we know that God is one, but yet there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, what he would do in the Old Testament is you'd see him come upon people, he'd work with people to accomplish the task that he had them to do. So if you're following on the outlines, this is the bullet point. God used his Holy Spirit to empower people for God-given tasks of leadership to save his people. Say, so, well, give me an example of that. Show me what you're talking about with that. We've been studying King Saul. Let's go before King Saul to the book of Judges, where we find the judges. And God's people would be oppressed by a surrounding nation, and God would raise up a judge, and he put his Holy Spirit on that person's heart. And that Holy Spirit would enable that judge to accomplish the task of leadership for God's people and saving God's people. One example is Samson. He was a judge. Let's look at the Holy Spirit and Samson. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion to in pieces as one tears a young goat. Or later on, again the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town. Or in Judges 15, 14, then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. So, the Holy Spirit comes upon Samson and enables him to accomplish the work that God has given him to do. Now, some of you guys know that I like to go and lift weights. I like to exercise. But there is never going to be a time, no matter how much I exercise, that I'm going to be as strong as Samson. Nor you will ever be as strong as Samson. Because Samson's strength did not come from his exercising, did it? It came from the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came upon him, it enabled him to tear a lion apart. It enabled him to break thick ropes to accomplish what God had given him to do in the way that God wanted him to do it, with his strength. But the Holy Spirit didn't just come upon Samson for enabling him to lead and do what God wanted him to do. It also came upon Saul. We've seen this in previous weeks. For instance, in 1 Samuel 10.10, and when he came to Gibeah, that is what happened. This, that is what happened. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. The Holy Spirit enabled Saul to prophesy. Or in 1 Samuel eleven six, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. Incidentally, this was a righteous anger on Saul's part, because that's when Saul heard what Nahash the Ammonite was doing to the people east of the Jordan. In particular, he's about to do to Jabesh Gilead. Remember, this is the guy that gouged everybody's eyes out, right eye out after he conquered them. And so the Holy Spirit rushed upon him, enabled Saul, the reclusive farmer, to raise an army, to lead an army, and then to defeat 
Nahash. So you see the Holy Spirit coming in a leader of God's people, raising him up and giving him the ability to do what God wants him to do. And when old Samuel anointed young junior high David, we read the same words, that the Holy Spirit now rushes upon David. But there's something a little different here. See if you can see what it is as we read this again. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Now, if you know your Bible, you'll know that what happened is the Holy Spirit rushed upon Samson, but then it eventually left Samson, didn't it? And he became weak again for a period of time. The Holy Spirit rushed upon Saul. And as we're going to see, it also left Saul. But with David, it's different. The Holy Spirit rushes upon him and stays upon him permanently. So, while there is no visible difference with David, because he's back tending the sheep, don't look on just the outside of David's life. Look at the inside, David's heart, because the most important thing has happened to him. The Holy Spirit is in him. The Holy Spirit is going to empower him for leadership and enable him to do the task that God has given him to do, which is to be the king of God's people. Uh, another point of interest I should tell you guys about that's sort of helpful in this section, there are time gaps in this chapter. And let me explain these. There is a time gap between the first and the second half of 1 Samuel 16, the chapter that we're in. Last week we looked at David. The first 13 chapters, he was in junior high school. When we pick up in verse 14, he is no longer in junior high school. Most likely, he's a young man in his 20s. You have to realize that, and I'll explain why there's that gap in a moment. Second thing to know is this. 1 Samuel 17, which is the next chapter, most likely came before the second part or the second half of 1 Samuel 16 that we're studying. Now, 1 Samuel 17. Let me get to it in the, in the end of August. It's the story of David and Goliath. And it happens between the time David is in junior high, which is the first 13 verses of this chapter, and the time he's in his 20s, which is the from verse 14 to the end of this chapter. So it sort of gets chronologically inserted in the middle here, between verses 13 and 14. And you say, why do I say that? And how would I know that? Good question. When you go to 1 Samuel 17, Saul and Abner have no idea what, are the, what is the name of David. But when you get to the end of this chapter, chapter 16, Saul, David will end up as the personal musician for Saul. So obviously, David knows him well. And in this chapter, Saul is calling David by name. So how do you go to the next chapter? And, David, and at that time, Saul doesn't know his name unless you move it forward in the chronological order. Now, you may say, okay, why did the person who wrote 1 Samuel put these out of order? I'll explain to you what's going on. The purpose of chapter 16 is to show us the difference the Holy Spirit makes in a life. 
The first half of this chapter is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes on David. The second half of this chapter is to show us what happens when the Holy Spirit leaves Saul. It's all about the topic of the Holy Spirit, which is why the guy's sort of like bringing in things out of chronological order. Also, chapter 16 is what's called the hinge of this book. It's dead smack in the center. Everything that's earlier than this deals with Samuel and Saul, and everything after this deals with David. So that's why he brings the story of David in, starts the stories of David with chapter 17. So let's dive in. We start with what is the problem for Saul. It says, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Not a good deal. Last week we found that because of Saul's disobedience, God has rejected him from being king. Not only is he rejected from being king, but God has withdrawn his Holy Spirit from working with him and from being in him. Think of the situation. Saul is still in the office of kingship, but he's missing the Holy Spirit in his heart. The Holy Spirit is no longer empowering him. The Holy Spirit is no longer guiding him. The Holy Spirit is no longer directing him. Yet, Saul remains the king, and from this point forward, he's doing everything in his own ability and his own strength. How do you think that's going to work out? It's like skiing. Everything goes downhill from here. That's exactly what's going to happen. Now, today, many people think, you know, it's not a big deal that I can live like Saul. I can be in a broken relationship with God. It won't affect my marriage. I mean, it won't affect my work. It won't affect my friendships. That's not true. The story of Saul just brings this out so clearly that the state of our spiritual relationship with God influences all the other practical relationships in our life. You cannot split them. You cannot bifurcate them. They are wed together. If you're using the outline, this is the point here. The spiritual area of our life has significant influence over the practical areas of our life. Say, so, well, how does that work? Let's look at your marriage. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is he convicts us of our sin. And he leads us to forgiveness and to, to actually seek forgiveness and to offer forgiveness. Do we need that in our marriages? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of seeking of forgiveness and offering of forgiveness in a marriage. And the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us in that. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He shows us our sin. So we apologize when we're wrong. Without the Holy Spirit, we stay stubborn. We stay hard-hearted. The Holy Spirit guides us into truth. And he shows us lies in this world, and he keeps us from being deceived in this world. We desperately need the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit influences everything about the practical areas of life. So for Saul to be king of God's people, yet without the Holy Spirit guiding him, is a tragic thing to happen. 
there's another question that often comes up at this time. Did Saul lose his salvation when he lost the Holy Spirit in his life? Hmm. That's a tough one. I'll give you some thoughts on that, but I'll also tell you that I'm not willing to die on these. This is something that theologians have been debating on for years, but there is some practical things for us to learn. Now, I personally don't think that Saul was saved. You say, why do I think that? I think Saul had faith, but I don't believe he had saving faith. And there is a difference. For instance, one of the things we see with Saul is the lack of obedience to God's word. He knew what the right thing was to do, but repeatedly he chose to go his own way to like flip God off and do his own thing if it wasn't convenient for him. James talks about this. There's a difference between fake faith and genuine faith. One of the ways we recognize genuine faith in someone's life is there's a desire for obedience to God's word that grows out of their life. James 2.20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? You say, show me your faith, I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, if you have, say you have faith, but there is no desire for obedience to God's word, then it may not be genuine saving faith. And it seems like Saul may not have had that. Second thing, Saul also seems to be missing repentance. Now we've seen this in previous weeks. When Samuel calls out Saul for his sin, what is he worried about at that point? You remember, Diane, you looked at me when I said it that week. The optics. He's worried about how he looked in front of other people. He was not genuinely sorry to God for what he had done. The Bible talks about this. There is something called worldly sorrow and godly sorrow or godly grief. There is a difference. Sometimes people are sorry they got caught, but they're not genuinely sorry for what they had done. That seems to be Saul. I'm sorry I won the kingship, but please make sure I look good in front of the people when you do it. That was the way he did this. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regrets, whereas Worldly grief produces death. So what we see as we look at Saul's life is an absence of obedience to God's word and an absence of genuine repentance. We see worldly sorrow, not godly sorrow. This may mean that Saul did not have genuine saving faith. He had fake faith. Now, I don't know, I'm not going to die on this one, but I thought those would be helpful points to share with you. What's very clear in this chapter from the 5,000-foot level is this. When Saul does not have the Holy Spirit in his life, it is a tragic and terrible thing. But when David does have the Holy Spirit in his life, it is a wonderful and 
good thing. This is the big idea. I want you to remember from this message, you take away nothing. I put it down in your outline. The absence of the Holy Spirit is one of the worst things that can happen in our life, but the presence of the Holy Spirit is one of the best things that can happen in our life. So important. Now you say, really? The Holy Spirit is that important? It's one of the best things that can happen to us? Well, I would say just talk to Jesus. Look what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit and how good it is. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give? You're expecting to say good gifts. But what does he say? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Because the good gift of God is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. The worst thing that can happen to you is not being burned alive. It's not being eaten by sharks or any of those other things I said in the sermon preview video. The worst thing that can happen is the absence of the Holy Spirit in your life, living on your own, rudderless, trying to figure out your way through this world, just like Saul. Now, it gets worse for Saul, because not only does he not have the Holy Spirit, he has a different spirit. Now, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and then we read, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. The ESV that we use says a harmful spirit, but some other translations, earlier translations, will come out and say an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And this really gets to a lot of debate and discussion. Well, wait a minute. God sent an evil spirit to torment Saul? I mean, how dare God do that? God send an evil spirit to torment somebody? Well, let's talk about this. Did God send an evil spirit to torment Saul? Well, the first thing you need to know is Satan and God are not opposite but equal. They are not. God is uncreated. He is over everything. Satan is an inferior, created being. And God is fully capable of using Satan for his purposes. Remember that. Think about Job. Remember when Satan comes to God and talks about Job, and then God allows Satan to torment Job but allows him to torment Job with limits. Like Satan can do no more to Job than God allowed. Satan was like a dog on a leash. God held him back. He said, you can go no further. Now, God used Satan in Job's life, obviously for a very difficult time, but also a very good time because Job brought great glory to God ends up having the book of Job written about him, teaching us about suffering and how to suffer well. But once again, at that point, Satan was being used by God. He was not over God. And this is not just an individual thing where God can deal with individuals and allow Satan into their life for a period. He can do this corporately. 
maybe if you know your Old Testament history, you know how God used the wicked Assyrians to conquer the northern tribe of Israel. That was God's judgment on his own people. God used the wicked and really demonic Babylonians to conquer the southern tribe of Judah. Now, if God can use two wicked and evil nations for his purposes, and God can use Satan for his purposes on, in Job's life, don't you think God can use an evil spirit for his purposes if he wants that evil spirit to be a piece of torment in Saul's life? He certainly can. The point in the outline is this. The devil is God's devil. He can do no more than God allows, and God uses him for his good purposes. So instead of Saul experiencing the peace and the joy, which comes with God's Holy Spirit in his life, right now he's experiencing torment because of an evil spirit that is tormenting him in his life. This is not an accident. This is not a medical condition. This is a supernatural assault of a spiritual being that has been sent into Saul's life as a result of his intentional, repeated disobedience to God's word. Now, some people will say, how could God do this? Use an evil being as a form of judgment on Saul. And I want to answer it this way. Saul's torment was a prelude to what is just eternal torment in the lake of fire for all who disobey God. Isn't that true? The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That all of everyone on the planet will one day stand before Jesus Christ, who is the just judge. And everyone on the planet, because of their sin, deserves eternal, conscious, never-ending torment in the lake of fire. That is a just and fair response to sin. And the torment that Saul is receiving while on earth in miniature is like a little prelude to what ultimately he deserves for rebelling his sin of rebellion against God. But here's the good news. And this is why we gather here today. Not only is God just, but God is incredibly gracious. God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his own son, what is most precious to his heart, to humble himself by taking on a body so he could be the perfect fit to die in your place for your sin. So we can do nothing besides receive what God has done for us with open arms, saying, Jesus, I need you to save me. That is what we are about. Not only is God just, but he is more loving than you could ever imagine. That is why we are constantly talking about our mission here at Crosswinds, is we are reaching people with Jesus. We're not trying to get people to like change their views and trying to twist their arms. We're just telling them the good news. We're messed up. We deserve the punishment for our sin, but God loves you. He's died for you. Come to his son, his plans for you, and his desire for you are all good. Come to Jesus. 
But what Saul should have done is he should have repented. But Saul doesn't repent. Saul is consistently stubborn. He refuses to repent. But he's tormented, tormented by this evil spirit. He's rudderless without the Holy Spirit. So what do his servants decide to do? They think they have a medical solution that will help him. That's what we read about in the next verse. Now the now let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. Well, we all know that music can change our mood. Music can lift our mood. They don't have antidepressants at this time. There's no Prozac you can get from the doctor. Their best desire is you have Saul. He is totally depressed. He is in torment from this evil spirit upon him. Maybe we can use music to lift his mood up. We've got to find a really good player and singer. Someone like Jeremy is what we need. Now, they're looking for a guy who can play the lyre. Now, what does a lyre look like? Here's a picture of a lyre. In case you're wondering, it's an early version of an acoustic guitar. That's what it is. And here's an interesting application for you. I started to think about Saul's servants were looking really for a medical solution to what was truly a spiritual problem at this point. You know, sometimes we suffer with depression. We suffer with anxiety. And many of you, at least statistically, are even there right now. And sometimes it's a biological thing. It's inherited, all kinds of stuff. And in those things, you go to a psychologist and thank God he's provided some medicines that can help with those things. And God is good to provide those things. But I would like to tell you that not all psychological problems are warranting a medical solution. Some psychological problems need a spiritual solution. And when people go to the psychologist, they get meds, and all the meds do is mask the problem. The meds don't solve the problem. Let me give you an example. Sometimes people are filled with guilt over their sin. They're filled with grief for what they, has done, what they have done. They look back on their past and they're filled with shame. They're filled with regret. And the past of their life reaches into their present and controls them and drags them down. And they live with that for years. And they go to the psychologist and the psychologist says, well, take this pill. And they end up like, eh, yeah. Now they're not depressed, but they're not even there. That's not something that demands a psychological solution. That is a spiritual solution. The only thing that can solve that problem is not a pill. It's Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus covering your sin. It's Jesus separating your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. It's Jesus who makes you literally into a new creation, a new person. The old has gone, Paul says. Behold, the new has come. 
God no longer looks at you with the history of your past. He only looks at you through the lens of the blood of Jesus Christ in the present. And he says, if I can look at you that way, when you look in the mirror, you need to see yourself the same way. That's what is needed. Saul needs to repent. He needs to flee to God and repent of his sin. He refuses to do it. He's stubborn. He's hard-hearted. So they decide to medicate him with music to mask his sin. Now, so Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. By the way, there's a lot of humor that all of a sudden starts happening here. You don't see it in the English, but you start to see it in the Hebrew and you start to see it in the historical background. I'll point out the humor as we go along here, how God is all of a sudden flipping things around. Saul is saying, provide for me a man who can play well. It's an echo of the very first verse of this chapter where God has said, I have provided for myself a king. The person who will be able to play well and bring sanity to the man that is tormented because he doesn't have the Holy Spirit is the man who has been secretly anointed and given the Holy Spirit, and he doesn't even know it. It's David. Now one of the young men answered, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who was skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. I have a thought here. Do you see God's hand in all this lining things up? There just happens to be a young man in Saul's cabinet who just happened to have heard David play his old version of an acoustic guitar and sing, and he just happens to be in the right staff meeting when they're looking for a player who's really, really good. You think God is lining all this up? It's great when the Holy Spirit is working in you. It's not really good when the Holy Spirit has left you. God is lining things up to bring David from the sheep field right into the palace. This gave me the thought, you know, if God is lining up all these little chants or small occurrences in David's life and in Saul's servant's life, doesn't that mean that God is also lining up the chance and small occurrences in your life and mine as well? This summer, when we're finally outside, it takes a long time in Iowa to get outside, but you're down by the dock, you're down in the park, and you just happen to meet somebody. You happen to run across somebody. Do you think that's happening by chance? Absolutely not. Now, we may not know the reason why God has us run across somebody, but trust me, there is a reason why God has things occur the way he does. And you meet the people that you do. The scripture says this. I'll give you the point here. Uh, this was not luck. God ordered the, 
these meetings for his good purposes. Scripture says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. By the way, when somebody wins the lottery, did they win it by chance? According to this, the lot, the dice, cast into the lap, its decision is from the Lord. God had the dice turn out the way he wanted them to roll, and God has you meet the people he wants you to meet. Now, this means that since nothing is by chance occurrence, we should treat every meeting of every person as an opportunity to do good for them, to bless them, to encourage them, and hopefully, if God gives, gives us the opportunity, to share Jesus with them. Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So the problem has been at this point, Saul, he's lost the Holy Spirit. He's tormented by an evil spirit. He needs somebody to bring him uh, some musical antidepressants. The solution is David. Now remember this. This is interesting. Here's a lot of irony. Nobody in Saul's kingdom or in Saul's court knows that David was anointed to be the next king when he was in junior high. Nobody knows that. Saul doesn't know that. Yet, they are seeking David out. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey, laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat, and sent them by David to his son, David his son to Saul. It doesn't sound like much there, but here's something interesting for you. When was the last time we saw a loaf of bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat in the book of 1 Samuel? I don't expect you to remember. I wouldn't have remembered if I didn't look this up. Remember when Saul was secretly anointed king, and he met men who gave him a loaf of bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat? Here comes David with the same three ingredients. Something starting to play itself out? Oh, most definitely. And David came to Saul and entered his service. Now, David will be actually working with Saul for a number for a long time. He won't actually officially become king until the end of this book. And I thought, why does God have David around Saul for such a long time? And then it occurred to me, maybe what God is doing is helping David understand what a king doesn't look like. When you were growing up, you probably had some good bosses, but did any of you ever have any bad bosses? And you walked away from that experience and you said, someday if I'm in charge, I'm going to do everything to not be like that? That's happened to me as a pastor. Some pastors I admire, other pastors I've worked with, I'm like, I want to do everything so I am not like them. Now, I think this is what's going on with David. God has David working with Saul, and he can see what it looks like to be a bad king. He can also see what it looks like to not have the Holy Spirit in your life. And that is going to mark David deeply. So David was training, God was training David about kingship and what he wanted to avoid. Now here's an interesting thing. And Saul loved him greatly. 
usually would expect at this point to say David loved Saul, and David does love Saul. But the thing that's interesting is it's the other way around. Saul becomes a groupie of David and his music. That's a little weird, isn't it? Are you starting to see that subtly things are starting to shift? The king who has lost the Holy Spirit is a rock star fan of David who has the Holy Spirit? It should be the other way. And he became his armor bearer. This is interesting. Saul has David be the one that carries his weapons and holds his weapons for him. That may not sound like much, but in the ancient cultures, what would happen is a king, when he uh, resigned from kingship and he admitted defeat, what he would do is he would take his weapons and he would place them in his successor's hands. By the way, in 1 Samuel 18, Jonathan will do that to David. He'll say, I'm not the one who's anointed to be king next. I'm giving you my weapons to you because you're the one that God wants to be king, not me. Saul is doing the same thing subconsciously, ignorant to the fact that God has already anointed David as king, and he's giving his weapons to David to be king. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. So David goes from a part-time job to a full-time. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit from the Lord departed from him. Interesting, isn't it? The king who was in torment because he lost the Holy Spirit could only find comfort in the presence of the one who has secretly been anointed king and now possesses the Holy Spirit. The absence of the Holy Spirit is the absolute worst thing that could happen in a life. The presence of the Holy Spirit is the best thing that can happen in a life. Now, the question becomes, if the Holy Spirit is so important and so good, how do we get the Holy Spirit in our lives today? And the answer comes down to one name, and it's Jesus. This is what the Bible says. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And what happens? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes onto our life, when we trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes on us permanently like David when we repent and trust in Jesus. And then the scriptures tell us this once we become a Christian. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As Christians, the Holy Spirit is in our life. He applies God's words to our hearts and to our minds, and he brings to mind issues of sin we have to repent of and issues of action we have to take. But the question is, will we walk with him, and will we obey him? Or will we ignore him? Ignoring him is one of the worst choices you can make in your life. Obeying him is one of the best choices you can make in your life. Remember, 
The absence of the Holy Spirit is the worst thing that can happen to you. And the presence of the Holy Spirit is the best thing that can happen to you. The question is, will we make choices to live in step with the Spirit, the best gift that God can give you and me? Now, there are some people here who maybe have not trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They do not have the Holy Spirit in their heart. If that is you, today as I close in prayer, I would ask you that you join me in saying you repent of your sin, trust in Jesus Christ for your sin, and inviting the Holy Spirit into your life. There may not be, I assume, I doubt there will be a big visible manifestation on the outside of you, just like there wasn't a big change on the outside of David's life. But there will be a big change on the inside of you when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart. And my friends, it is the best thing that can happen in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray. And for those who don't know you, please join me in praying. I repent of my sin. Heavenly Father, I trust in Jesus to forgive my sin. Jesus, send your Holy Spirit into my life. I know that is the best gift I ha can have. And the presence of the Holy Spirit is what I desperately need. And all God's people said, Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.